Okay, we're in James, and if you want to follow along, we're in James chapter 4. We'll be starting in verse, well, we'll pick it up in verse 6, but it's always a reminder to me, Father's Day. I love Father's Day because I'm a dad. But why I love it is because I tried for 11, 12 years, my wife and I did to have kids, and we couldn't. And there were a lot of tears. And I personally was um, really sad and asking the Lord, and, and he doesn't always answer yes, you know, but to us, he let us adopt two girls. And I, I every day think, what an amazing thing that I get to be a dad. It usually lasts for at least 25 minutes or so every day. Because then I forget, you know. I forget. I get pulled over to my kids do something I don't like, and I get mad at them, or I feel like they should give me more honor than they do, or there's a variety of things that kind of push me around in these um, this amazing gratitude piece that I have for being a dad. And that's a little bit of what I want to talk about today or what we've been learning in James is my desire for you as a body and for me as a person is that we would dive into the truth of the gospel, the gospel of grace. We, we, we don't want to. I don't want to a lot of times. I want to put my toes in. And the thing that makes me want to keep my toes in usually is me. I, I think grace is too soft. I think grace sounds like a good word, but what does it really mean? And, and to really dive into the gospel that Jesus has done what we've seen in James is two paths. And the, 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 both of them, both of them are about um, living a, a moral life. Both of them are about living as a, a holiness the best you can. Both of them are about advancing as you think you should advance. But only one of them is the right way. And that's what we've seen in this life in conflict that we've been through three three sessions. This is our third one, but but the first one was about earthly wisdom or, or godly wisdom. Wisdom from above, right? And wisdom from above is Jesus, but there is an earthly wisdom of how to get ahead, and it's about advancing yourself. And and as a believer, James is talking all the way through to believers, I feel like he he, he we have this danger, you and I, that we get pulled, just like me, forgetting that I'm about the gratitude of having kids. Man, I'll just, that's all, to get pulled towards, no, wait, I deserve I deserve a little respect around here. I get pulled, right? And, and, and then we looked last week at be a friend of the world and a friend of God. And those are two different things. And we're not setting up false dichotomies. We're saying, hey, that there's a pathway. And, and too often we get pulled towards ourselves and our self-advancement. And it's, it's towards being a friend of the world because that's how the world works, not towards being a friend of God that says your only hope is, is Jesus. And, and the most amazing thing to all this, because to me as a Christian, what James is doing is he's, he's, he's hammering at me, he's hammering at you, is that we kind of say, oh, wait, in my very best works, all the good stuff that I do, I'm just not good enough. My motives are never a thousand percent right. There's always a thread of badness in the very good thing. And we get hit and we say, oh, no, I start to see it. My, my, my good works aren't aren't so good, and what do I do? And we saw last week, this is what we do. We don't try to make him even better, but the Bible says he gives more grace. I love that. I love that because of the word more. God gives grace. He gave me grace in Christ. I'm amazed that he gives more grace. So as a Christian, as I live my life, the wonder of my dad who gives me more grace when I 
though I long to be perfect, I start to see even my longing to be perfect has these elements of me in it. Ah, I'm a sinner and I get broken and I say, he gives more grace. And that's where we've been. That's where we are. But now I want to focus in on the wonder of that grace for us, how it influences how we see the commands of God and how we treat other people. And this is for dads especially because it works with Father's Day, but it works for all of us. <laughs> the best thing I could tell you as a dad is how do you stay in the deep end of the pool of grace, the real truth of the gospel? How do you do it? So that's what we're looking at. It begins with what are these commands. We're going to see James. James loves commands. James has lots of good imperatives for us to do. And today he, he starts rattling some off in our flow, in our context. So this is in the context of last week and the week before. If you didn't get that, listen to it online. But here we go in verse 7. Therefore, James writes, submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Okay. Okay, if you take that out of context, you just look at the, the this little piece itself, you look at it, there's a therefore, it's tied. But if you just look at this, you'll notice that there are 10 commands strung in a row. In fact, there's 11 if you do the implied one. Did you see the implied one? The implied one's in verse, uh, is it, it's there in, uh, where did I find it? There, there it is. It says, let, let your laughter be turned to mourning. And really, there's another one implied. Let your joy be turned to gloom. So if you had that second lead in there, which is really the 11 things, he says, okay, here's some things for you to do. There's 11 things. I don't know about you, but when the Bible gives me commands, I take them seriously. I know you do too. So, so how you respond, though, is impacted a little bit by what path you're on. I want to show you the one path first. It's a theologian of glory. It's a theologian that says what, what the primary focus that I'm about is improving myself. That person who thinks that, that that's what you're doing is improving yourself, that's where you live, and you start to thread in this way of, of, of advancement. Let me, um, let me interpret this for you. So here we go. Well, let me do it a little bit easier way, maybe to split them up so we could see it. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. There's the first one. Get down on your knees. Grovel. You need to actually do what God says. You, you, you need to submit and do those things. Stop being someone who doesn't do what God says. You. People in the I'm sorry. You. Do it. Resist the devil. Fight him off. This is how you fight him off. You choose good deeds and you don't do bad stuff. The devil wants you to do bad stuff. Don't do it. You choose the good things. That'll fight the devil. Do better. Draw near to God. You see, if you do your part, then God will draw near to you. If, you. if you will get there, then God will go His part. You just need to do your part. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Duh. Stop sinning. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. You, you have these bad desires. Stop that. I know this sounds like a lot of stop, but it kind of flows along. Do you ever see the Bob Newhart little clip? It's a really great clip. You should look it up on YouTube. It's awesome. 
he's a psych, he's playing a psychologist or something, and somebody comes in and he gives he gives counsel. He says, "I'm a, I do counseling, and uh, I'll, I charge five dollars for five minutes." I got five minutes. It's not going to work. Oh, it's okay. Take your five dollars up front, though. He has the gal sat down and she starts talking about how she's afraid of being locked in a box. And he says, I've got two words for you. Should I write these down? No, I think you can remember. Okay, what are they? Stop it. That's all? Stop it. Stop it. How? What was it? Just stop it. And so he did it over and over, this one word. And he ends up this whole thing where she says, okay. He says, well, can I, I have, that was only two minutes. Can I use the rest of my three minutes? And I have some other problems. He starts going to other problems. He ends that with, okay, now I have ten words for you. Ten words. Yeah, you'll want to write this one down. Okay. She gets out her notebook. What are they? Stop it or I'll lock you in a box. <laughs> oh, no. But that's what we hear in these things. I hear, stop it. Just hear, stop it. You want to, you want to be good? Stop, do these things better. That's what I hear, right? And I'm saying it in a hard tone, but you know, I wouldn't have to actually stop it, do these things better. But Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Stop having bad desires. Be wretched and, and, and mourn and, and weep. Convince God you're humble. You get humble. You mourn. You, man, this is a big deal. Your sin is so bad. You mourn and get, get, show him. You prove it to God. You. Turn your laughter to mourning because... You're rejoicing when you shouldn't be, and God should see it. And therefore, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That's the summary statement. If you humble yourself, if you do what is right here morally instead of what is wrong, then God will lift you up, and God will exalt you. God will bless you when you do what is right. If you would just do what is right, then God would bless you. What do you hear? Do what is right. Why do I call this a theologian of glory? Because it's about what you do, right? you would do these things, God would bless you. That should remind you of something. That should remind you of the Old Testament law. It should remind you of the mountains that they stood on in Deuteronomy, yelling back, blessing them. If I do this, God will bless me. If I don't, God will curse me. And that's the system that people lived under for so long. And a theologian of glory lives there. Here's the thing, you and me. We've been through James. This is the third week we've looked at this. There's a context and a flow. If that's what you think James is saying, I, 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 I plead with you to go back and listen to the whole flow. But let me just walk it through with you. Right? We've seen that earthly wisdom is a focus on me and heavenly wisdom is Jesus Christ. We've seen that a friend of the world is, is working on yourself and a friend of God is trusting in the cross. I'll tell you what grace is he's a person his name's jesus and so we've invited and i invite you and we've invited each other to jump into the deep end of the pool and say hey i'm 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 gonna actually believe this i'm gonna put my trust that jesus christ is who saves me jesus christ alone and not of my works none ever not before not after not not the good works won't come because they'll be revealed i get it we've seen that but but the reality of of my trust in christ i want to be a theologian of the cross that's the second path, right? If there's two paths, the one is, is towards yourself is a theologian of the glory because you're going to get glory. You're going to get glory. You might say it's for God, but it's through your improvement. Or, or Christ, Christ who humbled himself and became nothing. He died for you. He died for me. And I'm putting my trust in what he did. Just, I want to be a theologian of, of, of the cross. So what is that? 
What does that look like? Well, we, we look at them again, and they, they might be flavored a certain way differently. You might have different lenses. Think it through with me. By the way, before I, before I do this, you may say, oh, no. I'm calling everyone not to be a theologian of glory. I'm pulling you away from that. But one of the whole things that James is after is that we are theologians of glory. We are here. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, hey, hey, you guys, don't be this way. We all are here. If you live, you're here. If you're alive and breathing, you're here. You have yourself in the game, always, always. <laughs> so what James is actually doing is he's saying, if you get convicted that this is true of you, that you have yourself in the game, guess what? He gives more grace. There's grace for you too. Just see it, will you? <laughs> Jump into the pool with me and be humbled. How, how, how do I think of it then? How do I think of it? In light of this more grace, it flavors my commands, right? So s- submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Surrender to this grace. Stop, stop, stop striving to get in to the game yourself. It's about you being weak and seeing it. It's about you saying, I, I see my sin and it is great. Resist the devil. Think about this with me, would you, just for a minute? Who is the devil? The devil's the deceiver. What does he want you to think? He wants you to think, God wants to make sure you're being a good little boy or girl or else he's angry at you all the time. He's accusing you, right? The two things the devil is, is a deceiver and an accuser. He's accusing you. What is he accusing you of? Not being who you should be. He stands before God and accuses us. You can't let these guys into heaven, right? How do I resist that? I resist that by believing the word of God that says that Jesus Christ did it all, right? Isn't that how you resist the devil? You don't fight him off by your good works. You stand on the promises of God. He cannot do anything if you do. Draw near to God. Oh, that you would soak in the gospel. Right? These, these go together, this resisting the devil and these drawing near to God and he drawing near to you. It's like, it's like, the, it's like the prodigal in Luke 15 when, when the prodigal says, wait, wait, wait. Even though I'm stained with sin, I remember my dad, I, I think he loves me. You have a little different heart about what you think God is towards you, that even though you're a sinner, he loves you, and you realize he's been running to meet you the whole time. You have this idea of God that you're towards him because of Christ and Christ alone, right? That's drawing near to God is that you actually trust Jesus. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. If you fry your hearts, you double-minded. You know, you, you know it's, it's interesting. He doesn't, doesn't say don't sin, like somehow inside of you, you can stop or something. He says, wash your hands. Any physician or anybody knows that washing your hands doesn't clean your blood. You've got an infection inside. It doesn't help you to wash your hands with a little cycle band. Soap. What does it do? You constantly remember that you're getting dirty all the time, right? I remember all the time getting dirty. You're getting dirty all the time. What does it mean to wash your hands? It's to confess, right? It's confession. I confess all the time that my hands are dirty. I, I, I know, I, I wash. Why? Because I get, I get absolution. I get the reality that Jesus paid for me as I confess before him. So you're a confessor of sin if you think of this way. You, should, you need to, in humility, you're always a little dirty. 
purify your hearts, double-minded, and the key is double-minded, right? To purify your heart is to abandon this idea of self-advancement that creeps into everything we do because the world works this way. And to say, no, I, I, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. I will single-mindedly put all my hope, all of my eggs in the basket of trusting Jesus that he's done it all for me. Got to remind myself all the time. Be wretched, mourn, weep. Yeah. Yeah, on my, these are, and when I'm tempted not to, when I'm tempted to actually put trust in me, when I step back and say, wow, I am a pretty good dad. I'm certainly a much better dad than those deadbeats over there that are paying child support. Stop it. There's a stop it. Stop in the self-congratulatory piece at all. My very best day, I'm still a sinner. And if you're looking at yourself, you should see mourning, weeping, not laughing. And, right? And again, I, I, I'm, I'm talking there not about your standing in Christ. Of course, I rejoice. The, the Bible says to rejoice all over. Philippians 4 says rejoice always. Why? Because Paul's looking at Jesus and he's saying, how awesome. Look what you get. You're adopted. You're, you're redeemed. You're ransomed. You're rescued. You're delivered. All of these amazing things that are true in Christ. And yet what I tend towards, as James has pointed out the last several weeks, is I tend towards taking that, yeah, it's true, and then thinking, I am advancing somewhere. Me. It'd be better if you cried, <laughs> says James. So you humble yourself, you trust in Jesus. That's what this must be, right? You, you humble yourself before the Lord. Humbling is this forgetting of you and forgetting about self-advancement, forgetting about you advancing. It's about connecting and being a part of Jesus, being a part of his suffering, accepting his death for you, receiving his love. Do you see how that flavored? as I walk through all of that, how you might see the commands of the Bible if you actually receive the gift of the gospel. And that's what I long for you. To live in light of grace received. You live in amazing wonder. You, you never lived law-keeping for God's blessing. Not before, but also, also not after salvation. It's not that now law-keeping leads to blessing because it didn't lead to blessing earlier. There's a reality to if I'm in Christ, I want to be like my Savior so I may act in holy ways. That's fantastic. But it is only a response and there's no worthiness in it whatsoever, right? It's what I should do because I see it. One of the ways that I felt was easiest to, to explain this was to actually go back to an author and I don't tell too many stories from history, but this is one. This, this is a... Um, I don't know if you've heard of James Hervey. Most people haven't. He's in, I didn't, hadn't heard of him either, but I was reading this little volume by J.C. Ryle, who was a writer um, some time ago, and he was, he was writing about the great leaders in England, the great leaders in Christianity in the past hundred years. So when he was living, <laughs> so now we're talking about someone who lived 250 years ago. And it was this man named James Hervey made the book. And so I was reading the chapter on James Hervey, and it, it talked about his story, and it says when he was young and a young pastor, his theology was very bad, says J.C. Ryle. So here's an example of his bad theology, it says. It says that, that what, what the man had, he was a small man, and he, he had a con, con, uh, consumption. Consumption is when your lungs don't breathe very well, and so they were kind of bad lung disease back there. So what the doctor said, and I'm sure this will come back in favor, they said what you have to do is you have to walk behind a plow while they're plowing so that you can smell the fresh earth. 
because that'll be good for your lungs. So he would get up early in the morning, he would walk behind the plow with the plowman there, the old plowman was plowing, and he'd walk behind the plowman, and he would smell the fresh earth, and supposedly it was good for his lungs. I, he died pretty young, I'm not sure that really helped. But, but here's the thing, he got into conversations with the old plowman. So the old plowman was also a Christian, and they would talk about things, and, and, and the, the, one of the things that um, James Hervey asked the plowman, let me make sure I get it right. James Hervey asked the plowman, he said, what do you think is the hardest thing in religion? What's the hardest thing? And the plowman kind of said, well, you're the pastor. I beg to return the question. You answer first. <laughs> and so he thought about it, he says, and this is James Hervey writing, and he says, well, I think the hardest thing is to deny sinful self. And I'll just read what he wrote. He says, he grounded his opinion on our Lord's admonition. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. I argued, said Mr. Hervey, upon the important import and extent of the duty, showing that merely to forbear sinful actions a little, and that we must deny admittance and entertainment to evil imaginations and quench irregular desires. He said, what, what we need to do, the hardest thing in a religion, is basically what? To get rid of sin. To be better me. This is the example, by the way, of him having bad theology. Because the plowman answered. It says this, the plowman quietly replied. And he said, there's another instance that I believe is even harder, said the plowman. The hardest thing in religion, and that is to deny righteous self. And he goes on to say, hey, you know this, um, young pastor, you know that I don't go to your church, even though it's next door. I take my family and we walk 10 miles the other way to another church. And the, the master said, yeah, I know. Why? He says, it's because of this. It's because I get up early in the morning and pray, and I love that I pray. I, I have family devotions with my family, and I love that I have family devotions with my family. I go to church, and I love the worship, and it's fantastic worship. And, and then I come home, and in all of that, I start to have this personal goodness flavor about it. That's what he said, and not in so many words. To the moment, he said, I find it the hardest thing to deny righteous self. I mean to renounce my own strength and righteousness and not to lean on that for holiness or rely on this at all. And it said of the young man, the pastor there, he writes, Mr. Hervey observed, I then hated the righteousness of Christ. I looked at the man with astonishment and disdain and thought him an old fool and wondered what I fancied the motley mixture of piety and oddity in his notions. That means he didn't like it, right? Nice way of writing back then. It's only later in life that he looked back and he said this. He said, I have since seen clearly who was the fool, not the wise old plowman, but the proud James Hervey. I now discern sense, solidity, and truth in his observations. He spent his life, you know, and he started to see. Jesus paid for his sin. A problem is we start to think we're good. It's a terrible place to be. And James, in our text, is helping prevent that in us. You see it all over the Bible, right? It's a, the problem is we tend to, we tend to put it all on, on, on in the conversion process and say that now that we're saved, but, but James Hervey wasn't talking about that. James is not talking about that. 
It is the sense of the Pharisee and the publican, right? The Pharisee who says to God, thank you, God, that you have made me good. I'm so thankful. He's finding his righteousness in him. He's standing proud and tall versus the publican. That's in Luke 18, this story that Jesus tells. The publican says, have mercy on me, God, a sinner. He's finding his righteousness outside of him. He's saying, I have no hope in me. I have no hope in any of the things I've done. That publican might have done some really good things too, right? I mean, come on. Maybe he was a dad. This is the impact on how we see the commands of God. Does or does not your heart go to this idea that the commands justify you because you do them. They, they, have, they have reward just in them themselves for you as opposed to you trusting in Christ. That's why Galatians 5.4, I think, says you are severed from Christ, Paul writes to Christians. You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. And I say that because your life and my life, this is all your life is. Your life is about the wonder of grace. Your life is about the wonder that Jesus Christ, who, who's the Son of God, He died for you, He loves you, He, he gives you salvation, He connects you to Him, and, and, and it's amazing that we come to sing songs because we're amazed. The wonder. As we begin to see those things, we maybe can see the context of the Bible differently. We start to be amazed at the response we get to have in humility. So this humility is a, is, a, is a turning from yourself on these two paths and coming over to say, I trust is in Jesus. And I need that. I need that reminder. We need to remind each other all the time. All the time. Okay. And not just for ourselves, right? It's also for other, other people. We, what do we do about other people's sin? What do we do about that? James goes there in verse 11. He says this, he says, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Okay, I think this is kind of an important passage because it's a little hard to understand. Uh, maybe it's not hard for you to understand as you start, because you say, don't speak ego against one another, brothers. We say, brothers, brothers, and sisters. He's talking to Christians as usual. And he's saying, okay, if I have this viewpoint of humility, and I have this place where I'm living in the deep end of the pool of grace, and I'm trusting in Jesus, he says, well, then don't speak evil against one another. I kind of get that, because speak evil, you can say slander. Don't slander each other. That sounds like a nice thing not to do. You guys, we shouldn't slander each other, right? You know what slander is. Slander is when you say something about somebody that's not true. That's bad. So be like saying behind somebody's back, like a gossipy, slanderous thing, that you say something about who they are, and, and, and you say it, and it's not really true. We talk about each other a lot. Most of the time, it's for evil. I don't usually hear someone say, Oh, Pastor Dax, have you heard? That guy over there, he gets up at 5 o'clock in the morning and reads his Bible. Isn't that cool? That is cool. No one's ever told me that. I hear a lot more, Hey, Pastor Dax, can you believe that guy smokes? He sneaks outside on his work, but you wouldn't even know, but his car, you should smell it. 
right? That's where we go. We go towards negative things is what we do. do, 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 do. We don't do-do-do we don't about good things. So this idea of speaking evil, I get it. This idea of slander, I get it. I get it. We ought not do that. That's bad. Don't, don't, don't do it. But, but there's more here. Why do I say there's more here? Because we'll keep reading. The one who speaks against a brother or judges. Wait a minute. Aren't I supposed to be a judge? I mean, just a little bit? You haven't, aren't you a fruit inspector? I'm going to go around. I'm going to look at people's fruit. I'm going to judge it. I'm going to see if they're good or bad. I'm going to look. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a child of the king. I'm, I'm a judge. He says, don't be a judge. What is he talking? He's not saying that word doesn't have an evil connotation like slander does. So if I speak against somebody or I judge somebody, then look at even this. This is even harder. Speaks evil against the law or judges the law. <laughs> Wait a minute. Huh? How is it that when I judge somebody, I'm actually speaking against the law? Because normally, if I'm judging someone, I'm using the law, right? What I do when I judge somebody is I come and I say, okay, let's see. Let's look at that guy back there, and let's look at his behavior. And we'll use the law, and we'll take a look, and we'll find out. Oh, my. You're doing that? Well, you know the law says this. (laughs) Judge you. I'm judging someone using the law as a tool to find where people have broken the law, so the law is a tool. James is saying, no, when you do that, you're actually judging the law. What's the issue? What's going on? I think we need to take a step back and we need to get this before we go. We need to understand that the problem isn't in the law. The law is beautiful and perfect. The problem James is getting after is you and me. It's our action of speaking against someone. It's our action of judging someone. It's when we do that, we're forgetting who we are. That's, that's what he says, right? It, it's, it's deeper. Sin tempts me to speak evil and not good, right? And, and if, you, if, if you're with me, then you think the law is beautiful. You get that the law is beautiful. But you also have to understand that when you look at the law, and the mirror of the law is always that we're bad. I never look at the law and get pats on the back. Tax, you're such a good person. Let's go look at the beautiful law of God. And when it really, truly reflects me, it doesn't say, Dax, you're doing so fantastic. It always condemns me. Always. This is our big problem because what we think is that sometimes the law doesn't condemn me. Sometimes it affirms me. And so therefore we have this step where we've made one step down the the self lane, if you will, and against the Christ lane. We think, actually, I'm doing okay. And that person over there is not what am I doing? I'm basically using the law to promote me. When I use the law to speak evil of somebody else, what does the law say of me? It says I am condemned. So the law that I'm using to condemn somebody else also says to me that I am condemned. But when I judge, what am I doing? I'm saying with the law, you're bad. What am I not saying? I'm bad. I'm actually using the law to say I'm better than you. Because in this one area, say for the area of smoking, I don't smoke. Smoking's hard because it's not a sin. How about getting drunk? Everybody agrees getting drunk's a sin. Right? So what I can do is I can use the law as a little, my handgun. And I can point out to find someone. I'm, I'm not saying you drink. I'll, I'll point at Aaron because I know he doesn't. And here I am using the law. What am I doing? I'm saying he's evil. And when I say that, I'm saying I'm not. I'm judging and saying he's judged. I'm not. 
That's as you flow through this, that's, that's what you see James getting at, right? Because what he says, if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. You see, you're not a person in the pool who's condemned by the law like everybody. We're all doers of the law. All of us. All of us fail. All of us. There's one who didn't fail. His name was Jesus. He's a separate case. But everybody who's under the law fails under the law because that's what the law does. It never gets righteousness. It never gets you to the point of saying you're good. But we use pieces of the law, little slivers. Slivers I don't have trouble with, but other people do to condemn other people. What is that? That's a problem in me. That somehow I feel like I'm not... I'm not, so we start this condemnation stuff when, when actually at the end of the day, that's not how we're saved anyway. How are you saved? By the humility of dropping the law and saying it kills me. My only hope is in the life of Jesus Christ. That's it. So, so, so there I am saying that I, I'm a judge when I use these slivers of the law, when I can't even see other people's heart. You know, there's one person who sees other people's heart. James knows it. He says there's only one lawgiver and judge. That's our father who is able to save and destroy. What does he save and destroy over? Not if you got drunk or not. If you believe in Jesus. Who are you to judge your neighbor? This is not saying, is it? This is not saying, let's be really clear. This is not saying we don't call each other out on sin. We do. You can call me out on sin anytime. I do it from a, when I call you out on sin, if I come up to you and you someday have the wonderful experience of the pastor showing up, and put an arm around you and say, hey, hey, sister, hey, brother, I noticed you're really not doing this very well. You know where that's coming from a heart of? I'm right there with you. We're in it together. We're helping each other because sin is bad and evil and terrible. That's not judgment. That's restorative. That's, that's that heart. Even in the Bible where you see in 1 Corinthians, they're kicking someone out of the body. That's for the purpose of restoration. They want that person back. They're not saying, we judge you. You are not ever a Christian. Goodbye. They, go, they can't see the person's heart. We can't see the person's heart. We don't know what God's doing. They're not dead. They're alive. Who knows what God's doing? You know what I want? I want someone to be able to me and say, hey, my sin is great and my forgiveness is greater. I'm not good but I am good in Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus and his righteousness. That's where you want people to get, and that's you and I okay with. In fact, the humility of Christ leads us down this way. If we really put our eggs in the basket, our hope is in Christ. We're all in the same bucket, and we can call sin, sin. We can help each other. But that's so different than this little game we play of self-righteousness, pointing out other people's mistakes, pointing out other people's sin so that we feel better about us. That's the wrong way. And James is calling us out on it. Okay. You and I should always see ourselves as fellow strugglers, and this should shade our interactions with our brothers and sisters. Our brothers and sisters are part of the church sanctified by Christ, and we cannot imply otherwise. And our hope never is in our law-keeping. We cannot use the law as a smear campaign. That's not our spot. You and I, James says, we all stumble in many ways. Our trust is in Jesus. Okay, this is going to help us. This is going to help us as we deal with sin in the body. This is going to help us as we think about life together. We're not going to be judges. We're going to be those who point out sin, but from the position of I'm just as much a sinner as you are. Because otherwise what you get to is, in, in fact, talking to someone in first service, thinking about, I deserve. I don't. I don't deserve 
this. So therefore, if, if I'd just been a better person, I would deserve more. And yet we all live in the same place, don't we? I deserve, go ahead and say it, nothing. That's so hard for me. I deserve nothing. I feel like I do deserve. I worked really hard. But the Bible continues to pound into my heart. James continues to pound. I deserve nothing, and yet I have received much. And I think all of us, whether you're Denny struggling with sickness or whether you're someone just starting out in life and strong and young, whether you've been through seasons of difficulty or or strength, we all need to be able to say that, that we deserve nothing, and yet we've received much. If you'll live there, then then you start to see people as valuable. I'll I'll end with this. I know I'm taking you long, but this is important. Look at how Jesus sees us. Christ loved the church. That church, that's brothers and sisters. That's what he's talking to in James. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water. Who cleansed the church? Jesus did, uh, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. What, What are you? spotless, holy, without blemish in Christ. How crazy that what we want to do is tear down people that Jesus has said are spotless in Christ. Are you crazy? Actually, that's a bad question. That was a rhetorical question. Because the answer is yes. I am too. And I come back in humility to realize amazing grace. That what we are is by the work of Christ and Christ alone. And I don't see it now. But the grace, the wondrous grace of the promises of God in Christ, that I know I will be like him, and you will too, because we will see him as he is. This is where we live. Be a humble receiver. So, so would you this morning, would you submit to God with me? Would you, would you agree with him that you have nothing and everything you have has been given? Would you reject the accuser, the deceiver that's telling you that it's about you and, and, and you're not deserving and, and, and you're not because, because he's true in his accusation, except he's not true about the heart of your dad. He's a deceiver. Would you turn your heart and receive the grace that's available to you? Would you continue in confession, staying humble with your ongoing sin? Would you put your trust fully in Jesus alone? Would you look at yourself as wretched in yourself, even on your best day, even on your day of triumph. (laughs) You're woven through with sin, and yet, and yet, you're valued and loved and lifted up in Jesus. And you know what? If you put your trust in Christ, we all are. I invite you into the pool. Dive in. Let's pray.